All right, well, if you guys have your Bible, please turn to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. You know, there's something about the truth that's a little bit different. Uh, We actually talked about that this morning in our Sunday school classroom with the youth, about there's only one truth, but there are so many lies. In fact, this is why we come this morning, right? We, We believe in this truth. This truth stands above any other truth. It's authoritative. Uh, We believe that this is God's truth over our life, and we follow it. There's wisdom, there's life, there's God's truth about Jesus in there. Scripture says that all Scripture is God's breath, that it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. This is the truth we believe in. If you got your Bible, if you got a phone that you have the Bible out, would you hold it up? Would you just hold it up? We're going to symbolize that this is the truth above all truth. Let's pray, yeah? God, thank you so much, Lord. You're so good. Lord, in a world full of lies, you remain truth, truthful. Lord, that this scripture that we hold, we hold it over our life. It it claims authority that, Lord, what you say we believe, and it brings us life. So teach us this morning uh, your word, Lord. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today, we're going to talk about the restless wanderer, about the rescuer and the rescued. Now, there are wandering souls on this planet, on planet Earth, and yet, sometimes they veer off from the truth. But we're going to talk about a life of knowing God, yet not living without Him in truth. Someone that is living without God yet walks with him or even without God is actually considered as a restless wanderer on the earth. Now imagine a life of not walking with God but knowing him. Do we live in a world today where we come into church and we believe in all these things yet our life says something different? We have sin in our hearts. Well the Bible talks about this story of a busted and broken life if we are to continue in our sin, the Bible talks about this as the restless wanderer. So if you have your Bible, Genesis chapter 4, starting on verse 1, we're going to go and read. The man was intimate with his wife, this is Adam, and was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I've had a male child with Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of the flocks, but Cain worked the ground In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flocks and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious and he looked despondent. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious? Why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you don't do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It's desires for you, but you must rule over it. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's guardian? Then he said, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out from the ground cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed, alienated from the ground that opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood that you have shed. If you work the ground, it will never again give you its yield. 
you will be a restless wanderer on the earth. But Cain answered to the Lord, my punishment is just too great to bear. Since you are banished me today from the face of the earth, and I must hide from your presence and become a restless wanderer on the earth, whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord replied to him, in that case, whoever kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And he placed a mark on Cain so that whoever found him would not kill him. Then Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. The story of Cain and Abel is one that many know. It's about a jealous brother who killed his little brother and doing so canceled all fellowship with God. So in this story, if you're not familiar, uh, God created the earth. He created everything that was good. And in them, he created humanity, Adam and Eve. He created humanity in his image and in his likeness. In his image that they would rule the earth, but in his likeness that they would display attributes of love, goodness, truth, faithfulness, joy. But in the process, something happened along the way. They decided to disobey God and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They decided to define evil in their own eyes. Thank you. And in doing so, they decided to live a life in their own way. And because of that, God casted them out of the Garden of Eden. They had to work the land now, and, and now they were outside of God's presence. And in doing so, God gave them a command, go bear fruit and multiply. And here we have a story of Cain and Abel. Guys, remember, this is right after God created the earth. He created humanity. He created good. And sin enters the world and starts to corrupt things. And in this story, you have a brother who, who comes before the Lord and he gives us an offering, but God is not pleased with his offering. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. And because of his consequences of his sin, now he's outside of God's presence. And now he is a restless wanderer on the face of the earth. You know, I have a story about being lost. I bet many of you guys have a story about being lost. Um, but for some reason... It seems like the airport is a place that many people are lost in, right? How many of you guys actually like going to the airport? Actually, Dallas, that's a big airport right there. But uh, there's a story. It was my first time riding on a plane since I was just a little boy. Uh, I was 18 years old. I was flying from Albuquerque to Florida, and I was going alone. Uh, first time flying on a plane. I didn't know certain things, okay, y'all? I didn't know certain things. We landed in Dallas, and my gate number that we arrived on was gate B, but my ticket number for my next flight said gate D. And so we landed, you know, it's B25 or something like that. And I'm thinking, well, I got to have to walk to the other side to find gate D. So I keep walking, I go to gate 26, and then I'll keep going to, uh, you know, gate B40. That's how, that's how big the terminal is, right? And I get to it, and there's, there's a dead end, right? It's like, surely it's not on this side. I'll go, I'll go try the other side. <laughs> so I walk through the hallway, and I, I get to B1. That's the gate number. And I don't see my gate, gate D. And surely I start panicking at this moment. I got 15 minutes left to, to get to my flight. I finally put my pride aside and the fear of asking somebody for help. So I go to the help desk, and I say, hey... I don't know what to do. I'm lost. I'm at gate B, but I need to get to gate D. And the, the lady looks at me. She says, sweetie, you got 10 minutes to get there. You need to get on this Skylink and ride the tram all the way to gate, gate D. And I'm thinking, Skylink? 
what's a Skylink? That sounds so futuristic, doesn't it? It's like, you got to ride this train, and, and I'm, I'm in awe because I don't, I, mean, I have to trust her, right? There's no other choice. So I said, okay, I'm going to get into the Skylink, whatever that is, and we ride, and I finally get to my plane destination there. I barely make it in time. Well, you know, you just don't know certain things. If you've never been to the Dallas airport, you're like, there's a terminal for, uh, for there's an entire building that's just for that terminal, and you have to ride over. Once I got onto the plane, I was a little bit flustered. I was still kind of stressed out. I sat down, and we finally get into the air, and uh, we, we hit that point where, you know, they start bringing out the drinks. You guys know this. They start bringing out the drinks, and being my first time, I'm like, do I, do I have to pay for these drinks? Like, I didn't think they were free. And so the lady comes up to me. She says, would you like something? And I said, no, I don't. I mean, I, I, I don't need anything. Cause I, and I'm thinking in my head, I, did pe- folks, like, pay before, like, part of their plane ticket? Or how do they do this? And the whole time, I'm lost and I'm stressed out. Guys, it's embarrassing. I, it's, it was embarrassing. Uh, I was sweating and I was turning red. But... Uh, feeling lost is something that maybe we all have experienced. Um, but truly, if you think about this dynamic in our world today, these descriptions are detrimental to the reality of the human soul. Knowing God yet living without him is like a restless wander. It causes havoc, and it's an, an unsettling, gut-wrenching feeling. And all you can say, man, that's just lost. That's just lostness. Uh, for maybe you, you've experienced losses, but surely you've experienced somebody else who's going through lostness. It may not be necessarily that they're lost in a location, but their actions reflect that they are lost. For those of you guys in the older crowd, you, you may see like a young person with much potential. They have a bright future ahead of them, yet they throw away their life. And you see it. You see the mistakes they're making, the situations, and the the chances for this young person to get it right. And then what they do, they just throw it away. And it's sad. And this is the reflection of lostness. And all you can do is, you know, shrug your head and, 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 and say, it's just, they're just lost. There's nothing I can do. Or maybe for some of you in the younger crowd, you have a friend who's dating someone that you probably know that they shouldn't be dating, right? And uh, he or she is dating someone that you know is not good for them. And you've thought about it many times. You've thought about actually telling this person. But you know that uh, throughout time, it started to create a rift in your relationship. And you're, you're stressed out about it. You're, you love your friend very much. And, and you don't know how to break it to them. And all you can do is, is you just, you know, they're just lost. They, they, they're blinded by the truth. Because they're in a world that, that they're creating their own reality. And they're heading a path for destruction. And all you can do is shake your head and say, man, it's, it's busted. It's broken. It's, it's, they're lost. To be restless means to be uneasy and worked up. And you're tossing and you're turning and you're troubled. And to be a wanderer is someone who is displaced. You're confused. You're lost. You're going from place to place aimlessly. And this is what it means to be a restless wanderer. It's not just that you're lost, but you're, 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 re- you're in a restless state. So let's read the text again here. We're going to start on verse 3, and it says this. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering 
some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious and he looked despondent. We don't know exactly why God did not accept Cain's offering, but he did accept Abel's offering. But we do know something about God's character. That sin is not something that, uh, evil is not something that God can reside in. He, he, he's, uh, he has a standard, and, and whether or not Cain failed that standard, we know that it had to do something with sin. So we don't know exactly what kind of sin it was, but we do know that it involved some sort of intentional, desire, sinful heart. That when he presented to Cain's offering, that he presented Cain offer, sorry, Cain presented his offering to the Lord, yet God did not regard, have regard for it. So it wasn't so much what he was offering, it was about his heart and his intention in offering to the Lord. And he's furious about it, and he is despondent, he's downcasted, he's discouraged. And so the Lord says in verse 6, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious and why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? Which has already given us an implication that what he was not doing, right? He was not doing the right thing. Why do you look furious and despondent? Man, he was angry that God did not accept his offering. And he was discouraged by that, frustrated. And it says, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So he says, if you do what is right, won't God lift you up? Won't God accept your offering? But if you don't do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. I think God is giving him a warning, right? I think God knows exactly what's about to happen. And he's saying, Cain, just giving you a heads up. You're about to face temptation and sin is crouching at the door. It's not knocking at your door. It's crouching, waiting to devour you. It kind of reminds you of 1 Peter, right? that the devil is like a prowling lion waiting for someone to devour, right? Because sin, that's what it does. It crouches, it's hiding, it's waiting for you to, uh, to attack. So, what happens in the story? Verse 8, Cain and his brother, let's go out to the field. And while they're in the field, Cain attacked his brother. I can just imagine it. Cain, God is ex- explaining and warning Cain about what's ha- about to happen, and Cain is, is just plotting in his head, oh, I'm going to do this. And he's, he's imagining, what's the, what's the cleanest way, what's the smoothest way to, to get this done? And I can just see it. I mean, I play it in my head, but it could be different for you. And they're walking, and he's like, let's go out to the field. And he's letting Abel walk a little bit further and further, and he grabs a stone, and he hits him behind the head. And he's plotting in his head, and, and he kills his own brother, his one and only brother. Now, remember, the context of the story, God just made life. And he made Adam and Eve to be bearers of life, to produce fruit, to multiply. And what is the opposite of life? Death. It gets even worse, right? Verse 9, then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I think that's another chance that God has given Cain to confess, to come up front with it. And he says, okay, what's going on? I think God already knows the answer, right? Don't you think? God already knows the answer. But he's given Cain an opportunity to come before him and explain everything that has happened. And this is what Cain says. I don't know. He just lied to the Lord. Am I my brother's guardian? This is like the mic drop, 
I think he just grabs the mic and he drops it. Am I my brother's keeper? I'm not his babysitter. So God says, what have you done? He says, you will be, a, because of Cain's consequence, because, because of his sin, his consequences now, he has been moved away from God's presence, and the Lord calls him a restless wander on the face of this earth. Don't you see the weight of sin that causes us to experience the same thing? That we feel uneasy when we sin, that we feel like we have been separated from God. We've ruined all communion, all fellowship with God when we sin against him. A restless wanderer, someone who's lost, tired, afraid, guilty, regretful, shameful, you don't have a place to go? Do we have a world where we come in and we do church and we all do all these godly acts, yet we still have sin in our hearts? Intentionally living like Jesus will be extremely difficult if we still carry sin in our hearts. It's unrepented, unconfessed sin that we hold on to. Now, I, I know it's not a conversation that is, brings us much joy yet, but I will say this, that Living to be like Jesus will be extremely hard if we are to do what Cain does. And, and Cain started small, right? It started with an intention, a, a selfish, sinful desire. He was not being honest with God. And it eventually led him to a place where he killed his own brother. There's a cognitive dissonance when we do that, where we say we believe in one thing, yet our life says something else. We begin to contradict our own life, which is interesting. But the world says that, well, we should just keep going this way. Go ahead. You don't have to repent. You don't have to confess your sin. There's nothing that you need to really talk to God about. You're, you're a good person. Uh, Psalm 32, 3 through 5. You don't have to turn there, but if you want to, you can. This is what the psalmist says about sin. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. Strength was drained in the summer's heat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave my guilt of sin. The thing is, this is a beautiful text because this shows what happens when we sin, when we don't come and confess our sins to the Lord. It, it feels heavy. God's conviction is heavy on you. Uh, and uh, there's another place yeah, right here. It says that the, the summer's heat. It feels like if you stand in the sun all day, you feel very drained. And that's the same, same principle here. You're living a life that's cognitive dissonance. You're saying one thing, and yet you're living a life that's something else. Are we really truly, truly pleasing God in this way, if we are to live in this way? And the honest answer is that God does not want to have you remain in that place. He wants to bring you a rescue, and this is where the good news comes into play. God gives us a rescuer over Jesus. Now, go back to verse 7 here real quick in Genesis chapter 4. He says, But if you don't do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It's desire for you. It's desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Can we really rule over our sin? Can we do this on our own? 
we, we need a helper. We need someone to rescue us from this plague that plagues every person in the human soul. Sin. It's corruption. But God sends Jesus, the rescuer. If you guys can do the next slide there. The rescuer, he's the one who comes and he can rule over sin for you. So that's, that's what faith is about. Faith is no longer putting trust in yourself, but it's putting trust in the Savior who can defeat sin and death. Who can do that? That's Jesus. Romans 6, 9 through 11 says this, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Since a person who has died is free from sin, now if we die to Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Because we know that Christ, has been, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all time. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the hope that we believe. This is why we come on Sunday morning, because we know we cannot defeat sin by ourselves. In fact, we have to trust in someone who can and who has already defeated sin and death. Jesus, when he died, he died to sin. And when he lives, he's been resurrected free from sin. And he's, uh, what he's done, he's breaking the bondage for every person who comes before the Lord and believes in him may be raised from death to life. This is the joy. This is the rescuer that we believe in. And those who are rescued now can walk in a new life. Those who are rescued can now walk from the dominion of darkness because God has transferred over to the dominion of the kingdom of his son. This is Colossians 1.13. says this, He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God has sent Jesus as a rescuer to, to take us from darkness into light. And because he's done that, now we've been given a new identity. We're no longer ruled by sin and death. God has done that for us. But what happens, again, what happens for someone who knows God yet does not walk with God? The restless wanderer concept can go two ways, really. One way, it could be you know God, and yet you're living a life of sin, and you experience the actions of a lost person. You reflect the lost person's action. On the other side, you have someone who does not know God at all, and you are a restless wanderer. You have not experienced joy and peace and truth, and you've been wandering. But the person over here who, who's following Jesus and yet has sin in our hearts, we start to reflect what a lost person does. And truly what, what that is, is you, you just, you stop agreeing with God, right? That's really what's going on. You stopped agreeing with God. The person without God, you've disagreed with God. You don't agree with God on certain things, so you don't follow him. And this is what happens. The, the, the rescued still struggle with this. But here's the truth, guys. Here's, here's the hope that, that we believe in. Those who put their trust in Jesus have a relationship with God. We've been given a new identity. We were orphaned, and now we are son and daughter in his kingdom. So we have a relationship. Our salvation in Christ, can, nothing can change that. Nothing can change your salvation. Not you making bad decisions, not somebody else 
creating a rift in your life that's causing struggle and pain? Nothing, right? The, the God's word in Romans 8, 38 says that nothing can separate us from the love of God, neither height nor death, nor angels or demons, nor heaven or hell. Nothing in all creation can ever separate us from the love of God. Our relationship with God will never change. He's our father. We are his children. Now, what can be affected is our fellowship with God. There's a difference. Fellowship is how we commune with God, how we are connected to God. Um, uh, the best example I give, I, I share this with the youth, is let's say uh, if, if you have your brother or sister, and uh, you were that one kid that grabbed gum and you put in your sister's hair. How many of you, know, how many of you guys put, your hair, uh, put gum in your sister's hair? Um, don't answer that. But <laughs> truly what happens is, Nothing happens be, be, between you and your sister. Like, you're still brother and sister. That is a, your relationship. What changes is your, is your fellowship. She's not going to be happy with you, okay? She's not going to be, she doesn't want to talk to you. Because what you've done, you've done something against her, and now, now your relationship, you don't have any, your, your relationship stays the same, but your fellowship changes, is this kind of making sense? So once you've been rescued from the dominion of darkness and into light, uh, you, you can still experience the effects of a lost person, but you're not truly lost. Are you guys following with me? A little bit? Because, you know, if you look at this text, did Cain know God? Did Cain have a conversation with God? Yeah, he did. Did Cain have an offering to the Lord? Yes, he did. But his sin caused him to lose fellowship with God. He was outside of God's presence. Cain paid the price for what he did. He has to walk the rest of his days to be a wanderer, and not just a wanderer, but a restless wanderer. So I want to give you guys four things, four things to take away today. Number one, we must have a high view of God. We must have a high view of God. Truly, if, if you look at what's going on in the text, um, I, I don't think Cain had a high view of God because he presented an offering to the Lord, and whatever that was, he, his sinful heart, he was not able to put God in his rightful place. When you put God in a high view, when, when you see God in a high view, you agree with him. You put him in his rightful place of your life. You have him call the shots. Uh, we say this all the time. You put him in the driver's seat, and you're in, the, you're in their passenger seat. But some of us, uh, you know, even Cain, he put God in the back seat. He didn't have any regard for God, and so his high view of God was diminished. So we must have a high view of God. We must be in awe of wonder that God is the creator of the universe, that he is infinitely and beautifully uh, a creator and author of life. He is everything that life is sustained by. He loves us. He's a good, good father. You start looking at the attributes of God, and you start to realize how, how great he is. He's patient. He's kind. Yet he's wrathful. Right? He's self-existent. He's outside of time and space. Everything that we, how we perceive God shapes everything around us. Number two is this, to take a serious view of sin. If we have a high view of God, then we recognize God in his rightful place, that he's holy, and because he's holy, he's not like anybody else. 
And if we see that, then we can see clearly what sin is. Sin is the opposite of what God desires. We must take a serious view of sin. Sin corrupts, sin destroys, sin ruins. You see this in the text, right? One little sin caused them to deviate. And then from that sin, it went to plotting. And then plotting went to murder. And then murder went to lying. And then lying went to disrespect towards God. Sometimes we think, well, it's just a little, little thing. You know, it's not a big deal. I promise you, I've experienced this. Over time, years of doing that, you begin to say, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. And you start going way off. To the, to, to the point where you, now you really want to go back to God, and it's extremely difficult. You, what you've done, you've made a decisions that cause you to veer off from God. And so just little sins, well, they end up being a big deal later in the future. So confess your sin, give it to the Lord, repent from it, take a, vi- a serious view of sin. When we have a high view of God and we take a serious view of sin, we can now celebrate a glorious view of grace. Now we see why God sent Jesus. Now we see why we need him as our rescuer and as our savior, because we get to see the grace that God has given us through Jesus Christ, that we were dead in our sins, and now we are alive. I talked about lostness. Surely somebody in here, you've seen a lost person, someone making poor decisions, and you say, man, if you could just not do that, right? Get, get your life together. And everyone has different tendencies, to be honest. You may have tendencies that's different from your brother, and yet we judge them, right, for what they do. But we celebrate what God has done for us, and that changes everything. If we don't have a high view of God and we don't take a serious view of sin, we won't have a glorious view of grace. Jesus won't matter. You won't need a rescuer because you've convinced yourself you don't need one. I'll give you a freebie here. This is 3A. But if you celebrate a glorious view of grace, that gives you a compassionate view of the lost. Now you see the truth. And now because you see the truth, you start to see those that are lost truly without God. And you begin to have compassion over them. You don't judge them. You don't condemn them. The Bible doesn't tell us to do that. We don't hate them. We have compassion on them because guess what? We were there too. Ephesians chapter 2 says this, We too all previously lived among them in our fleshy desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love for us, he made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You have been saved by grace. Now because we see our glorious view of grace, sorry, we can now have compassion over people who are truly lost. Finally, number four is we walk in the newness of life in Christ Jesus. The, the, the awesome thing about the message of Jesus is that he no, he no longer just takes the care of the bondage of sin and death, but now we can experience new life here on earth. I'm a testament of that. Honestly, I was lost in my sin. And I wanted more sin. And, and, and the world was appealing to me. But every time I would go that way, it seemed like it would never satisfy. Maybe for, right, just a little bit. Maybe just for a year. Maybe years. 
But truly, at the end of the day, I know that without God, there's no purpose. Without God, there's no ultimate satisfaction. Without God, there's no real truth. Man, today we live in a place where truth is relative, right? Some folks believe that their own truth is true. We talked about this again in our youth. But we only believe in one truth, one way, and one life. That's Jesus. And in this life, he gives us newness. We can walk in the newness found in Jesus Christ. Romans 6, 4 says this. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly be also in the likeness of his resurrection. We celebrated that this morning. Baptism. Baptism is a symbolism of what God has done for us, that we were dead in our sins and now we've been raised with Christ. Before I finish up, I just want to encourage you guys. Don't, don't, don't close your heart towards God. Don't, don't harden your heart. Open up. Let God speak to you. It's hard because your flesh wants the sin. Your flesh wants to go this way. But I promise you, God's way is always better. Take a high view of God, a serious view of sin, a glorious view of grace, and now you can walk in the newness of life. Let me pray. God, thank you so much, Lord. We, uh, we want to come before you, Lord. Uh, we, we learn from Cain and Abel, the story of Cain and Abel, that truly we don't want to be restless wanderers. We don't want to be people that are lost. And uh, those of us who have been found and are rescued, that, Lord, that we don't reflect lost persons' actions, but we truly trust in you. We know that you are life, you are truth. Lord, that, that you remind us of the gospel, that you remind us that we need you, Lord. Would, would you do that, Lord, this morning? We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'll be here. If you guys want to stand, we're going to sing our last song. But if you need someone to pray with, I'll, I'll be right here. Let's stand.